and welcome to the latest episode of Everybody Hits. Uh, I'm Megan Montemiro. Bo Wolf is busy covering the NFL draft, and Matt Gelb is enjoying time home being a first-time dad. And uh, so today we are joined and very excited to have Larry Boa on the bo- on the podcast. Um, thanks for joining. All right, Megan. Uh, it's nice to be on the air. <laughs> Uh, so what have you been doing during the quarantine to stay busy? Well, obviously, uh, watching a lot of Netflix, uh, working out a little bit, uh, uh, looking at old games on uh, on TV, the 23-22 Cub-Philly game, mm-hmm. some of the highlights of the Phillies the last couple of years. Just trying to stay busy, obviously. It's going through some tough times now, but hopefully uh, we can get back to baseball sooner rather than later. But we have to basically make sure that the uh, – the scientists and doctors are going to determine that when when everything starts up again. What have you, what have your uh, go tos been on Netflix? I've been I've been binge watching uh, Ozark. <laughs> I can't stop watching it, and I watched a, a a movie called Greater. It's about a high school football player. So uh, I just start when I start watching these that have more than one episode. I, I have a tendency to just to stay up and keep watching them. <laughs> Well, you have a lot more free time than I'm sure you're used to. Yes, I do. A lot of free time. <laughs> Are you still keeping your arm in uh, BP shape? Oh, yeah. I've been, I've been doing good that way. Yeah, I've been doing some exercises. And uh, there's a wall down by my house here. I get a ball and throw it off the wall. And, uh, uh, you know, I just I try to stay busy. I, I run. I walk. I try to do something every day. Yeah. I know it's difficult right now. But... Uh, uh, I think the more you can do right now and keep your mind off what's going on, to, uh, to uh, just listen to the news all day long. So I'm trying to stay busy. Yeah, I know everyone's trying to find creative ways to keep time right. occupied until baseball comes back. And, you know, there have been a couple ideas floated out there, you know, playing all the games in Arizona, using all the spring training sites out there and colleges, um, or possibly doing a grapefruit league and cactus league set up with realigned divisions. Um, what, what are your thoughts on some of those ideas? And obviously as a former player, I, I know you can envision how those, you know, might play out. Well, obviously there's all kinds of scenarios going on right now. And, and I don't think anything's really concrete yet. Uh, I think if we can, get closer to maybe uh, uh, getting the, our country back to somewhat reasonable of the way it was. Uh, I think they can start making some concrete plans. But until then, I, I know they want to play baseball, and I know people want to watch baseball. But as we well know, both of us, we cover baseball. We love baseball. Uh, there's more important problems right now. But I think any of those plans that they suggested would be good. Obviously, you have to take into consideration. Uh, you know, I, I read where Zach Wheeler's wife's expecting, and, and he said, you know, I'm going to need two weeks to get quarantined, and I'm going to go home for the birth of my baby, which, you know, that, that should be his number one priority. So there's going to be a lot of different situations with different players. Uh, obviously, the guys that aren't married and don't have a family, it's going to be a lot easier for them to make the adjustment. And, and those guys that have families and that, uh, it's going to be a, a, a difficult decision. But uh, no matter what avenue they do take, uh, the bottom line is uh, it's not going to be the same type of season that they've been before, and uh, we just got to make some adjustments every now and then. Do you embrace the idea of, of try, as using this as a way to try out some different things, whether it's you know a universal DH or 
um, different things to see, hey, you know, this is going to be an odd season if we have one anyway. Why not try and experiment a little? Yeah, I, I, I sort of lean towards the latter, what you just said. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, no matter what happens here, there's going to be asterisks that they only played so many games and they played with a robo um, umpire behind the plate or both teams use DHs. So if you're going to experiment, I, I, obviously this would be a good time to do that. And they can find out uh, what really they think the players like, what they don't like, what the owners like, what they dislike. So, I mean, it would be a, a good year to experiment and see what, what actually works with the big league players. But uh, like I said before, until we get our country squared away, I think that most people right now uh, uh, are putting baseball or any sport right now on the back burner. So kind of on the heels of that, uh, let's, let's say you've been made commissioner. What changes would you implement to improve the game? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I, I do think this is just my opinion that you either have the DH or you don't have the DH. Uh, I, I just, I think it's an advantage when national league teams go play American league teams, um, during the course of interleague. And I also think it's a, an advantage for the national league teams, even though pitchers aren't considered real good hitters. When, when the American league team comes to a national league park, those guys never hit. And then I'm sure they didn't hit very much in the minor league. So that would be one rule that I would try to make universal that we either have it or we don't have it. Um, I, I'm personally, I like the, the more the schedule where you don't play one team 19 times. Uh, you know, I think that, I, I just think that it was more of a balanced schedule. I think it'd be a lot fair because at times during the course of this this uh, interleague, you're going to face some teams that are really going through bad times. And if you play them 19 times in your division, you should take advantage of that. And obviously there's going to be teams where, man, this this is a juggernaut team. we got to play them 19 times. That's why I think a, a balanced schedule would sort of even that out. And uh, it would make it a little bit more equal for everybody do you think a balanced schedule how how do you think that would uh, impact rivalries do you think you know you would form enough new ones do you think that would hurt you know say you know the phillies maybe don't get to end the year against the mets or the nationals and you know instead are are playing a random american league team well i I don't really think there's that many what you call rivalries now the way it used Mm -hmm. to be i mean obviously the Cardinals and Cubs is a big rivalry. Boston and the Yankees. Uh, I don't really consider the Dodgers, because I was out there, I don't think the Dodgers and Anaheim are that big a rival. So I, I don't really think there's a lot of rivalry anymore. So in that aspect, I don't know if the fans really uh, embrace that that much anyway. I, I really don't. I mean, it's nice to see uh, Mike Trout come in here and play. Uh, which was going to happen this year, I guess. But, you know, hopefully that uh, if baseball resumes and when it resumes, I don't know how they're going to pick up the schedule. Do they pick it up mm-hmm. right where they let, where, where the date is or do they revamp the schedule? So there's a lot of big decisions that the commissioner has to make right now. And they're tough decisions. There's no question about that. I mean, I, you know, I, I looked at that uh, that sort of realignment when you had teams in Florida playing Mm -hmm. and in our division, I think we had the Yankees and we had uh, Pittsburgh 
and we had Toronto, and I'm trying yeah. to think the other one. Uh, uh, it was, was it Tigers, Orioles, Blue Jays, the Orioles, Yankees, Orioles. Phillies. That's who yeah. I'm missing exactly. And, and you know, and if you're if you're the the Mets or if you're uh, uh, say Atlanta, and you look at that scale just on paper. Now I'm just saying on paper, you know, there's two teams that are going rebuilding: the Tigers and Orioles. And Toronto's got a relatively young team. So basically what you have there, if everything plays out on paper, which we know it doesn't, but you have the Yankees and Phillies. And then you go to the other side where, where uh, Washington and St. Louis and the Mets, they're all in one division. That, that makes it pretty difficult, I mm-hmm. think, for those teams. I mean, I, I would definitely uh, like that alignment for us because I think we could take advantage of playing teams that are rebuilding and a relatively young Toronto Blue Jay team. And the only team basically that you have to battle would be the Yankees. So, again, these are questions that I, I'm sure other teams are looking at and they're saying, wait a minute, this doesn't look like it'd be fair. But I guess that's why they pay the commissioner a lot of money to figure this stuff out. Yeah, well, you mentioned the Phillies. And, you know, this is obviously a team that is expected to compete. It is in win-now mode. Um, you know, during the abbreviated spring training, you know, you, you obviously were working with a lot of guys on the field and behind the scenes. Um, were there any guys that you had a chance to do some one-on-one work with or, or maybe that you got eyes on um, that really stood out to you over the course of camp? I really liked it, and I know people are probably going to say, are you crazy? I, I really like D.D. Gregorius because I think he got one or two hits the whole spring. But mm-hmm. he, he impressed me. I mean, this kid's coming off of uh, uh, Tommy John. He brings a lot of energy. I think he's a very good shortstop. He's going to hit. Don't don't let those drink training numbers deceive you. The fact that uh, the I like working with him, uh, uh, Juan Castro, our infield instructor, did a great job, and and I, I just think that uh, the fact that Gene Segura basically said, "Hey, I'll move to third base to open it up for Kingery to play second. I think that that shows a lot about the character of these guys. But I, I like the, the infield that we were throwing out there every day. You know, I know Joe made a statement that he liked to play the infield, have these guys play one position. And he had a pretty good infield with uh, Reese and, and Kingery and Didi and, uh, and Segura. And, 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 of course, obviously, Riamuto behind the plate and Harper in right mm-hmm. field. Uh, I, I just I like that lineup. I thought we played very well in spring training fundamentally. I thought we were doing a good job. We pitched the ball very well. We're going to get McCutcheon back if we do start up again. Uh, mm-hmm. That'd be a big plus. And then center field was, was going to be a battle that Joe said that was going on. So I was really impressed with our lineup, Meg. And I, and I, I really thought that if we would have played or if we do play, I think it's a team that could definitely get into the playoffs. So to make the postseason, um, which obviously we don't necessarily know what kind of postseason that might look like, but is there something, you know, that, that, you feel like the Phillies need to do well or, um, you know, really uh, hone in on, I guess, um, yeah. to make it back to the postseason beyond yeah. staying healthy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, what I, th- I think our bullpen is going to be big. You know, I think that's going to be, especially now, like I said, if we do come back, we don't know if we are. But obviously pitchers won't be going deep when they first come back. So mm-hmm. bullpens are going to come into play big time. And, uh, you know, we lost already lost a guy at least – temporary in way uh sir anthony so uh and we've got tommy hunter who's still rehabbing i mean th- th- those are two big arms but I-, I still think we have enough arms down there i really like our starting pitch and i thought they were throwing the ball exceptionally well uh zach wheeler is going to bring a lot to the table and of course Aaron Nola. everybody 
knows about him. And, uh, and I think Jake Arrieta and Eflin, uh, you know, I like, I like the rotation, but the, if you, if you had to pick one area where you said, God, I hope they do well, I think it would be our bullpen. I, I don't just think the Phillies bullpen. I think every team in baseball now is going to lean on that bullpen, especially if we come back early in the first part of a, if, if we start up the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one guy I know I saw you working with quite a bit over the course of camp um, was Alec Bohm. And um, I know you, you've gotten to see him, you know, since he was at Wichita State, you know, and then, you know, joining the organization. Right. What has stood out to you about his, his progression on the defensive side? Um, and how do you think he's handled the challenges that come with being a bigger dude playing that position? I think he's handled the, the, the situation very well. You know, you're number one pick. And uh, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. I will say this. I watched him at Wichita State, and he has improved tremendously from the time I saw him in college till this past spring training. Uh, obviously, he still has a little ways to go defensively. This guy's going to hit. He's got a great idea of the strike zone. He's a good kid. He's got a great work ethic. I, if I would have said, if somebody would have told me, do you think he'll play third when, when I saw him at Wichita, I, I would have said no. But I've changed my mind watching him, how hard he works. He's improved a lot. He still, Like I said, he still needs some work. His first step needs to improve a little bit. He's got a good arm. He's got to get a little more consistently in his release. But I like him a lot, and I think it's just a matter of time before uh, before he gets to the big leagues. And, again, that, that be, would create a great problem for Joe Girardi and the coaching staff if he was to – to move through the system relatively quick because you got a pretty good infield right now and trying to get him in. That's why if you did have a DH or something, obviously the way he swung the bat in spring training and the way he swings it in the minor leagues last year, swung it the minor leagues last year, this guy can bring a lot to the table offensively. Um, you know, you look at the game and how it's evolved just even, you know, over the course of your, your time in, in decades in baseball, um, you know, I think it's interesting, especially with, with the technological advances and how much that's been incorporated and the way that your career kind of progressed and you, you kind of came out of nowhere to really become, you know, one of the best shortstops in baseball. So I was curious, do you think you would have had the same type of career in today's game? I would say probably not because it's it's analytically driven. And if you just do it on analytics, I probably would not have graded out. Uh, you know, the one thing about analytics, they, they can't measure – how smart you are, your heart. And, and to me, that sometimes uh, can overrule some of the, if you have a couple of deficiencies uh, playing the game of baseball. But I, the one thing I like about Joe Girardi is he, he uses both. He uses the analytics. He uses his experience that he had in New York. He uses his experience as a player. So he combines the two. And I think that's good when you get the, the right, you know, blend between the analytics and gut feeling and what your eyes tell you. But I do think that there's a lot of emphasis put on the analytic part of the game now. And to me, I, I think there's a lot of good things in analytics. But I also think sometimes, especially when you're coming up through the minor leagues, there might be too much overkill when a kid's trying to find his way when he first signs and goes through A, AA, and AAA, and he gets inundated with all this information. Uh, at times, when you step in the batter's box, that old uh, adage of see ball, hit ball comes into play. And I think sometimes our young kids worry about launch angle, exit velocity, where are my hands, Am I stri- is my stride right? So, again, I think there's a lot of good things in analytics, but I also think there's a 
fine line between using too much of it and just letting the kids go out and play. Well, it's interesting balancing act too, because as I'm sure you've talked to guys, you know, some want all that information, some don't. And so it's interesting to see how kind of that all balances together. Um, even just individual to individual. It is. I mean, I, I know just being around Reese, I know he likes all that information, you know, and I think that, uh, he'd be the first to tell you that that information really helps him. And then, you, you know, you talk to a guy like D.D. Gregorius and, and, and Segura, and they like, they like the analytics, but they're not, it's not the end-all, be-all with these two guys. They like to just use their eyes and their experience as to when they get in the batter's box what they're looking for. So, you know, to each his own. Uh, like I said, some guys embrace it, and other guys say, well, I'll use this, or I don't want this, and which is good. You know, it's an option for the players. Uh, obviously, it's there to try to help everybody, and some use it and some don't. So, you know, you, you obviously had a lengthy career, 16 years in the big leagues. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to to maybe do a little fun quiz in terms of uh, best of that, that you uh, okay. played with. Or So okay. so who, who, when you think of this, who's the best teammate you ever had? Wow, as a player, right? Right, right. Okay. Uh, I'd have to say uh, Greg Lazinski was a real good teammate. You know, we roomed together when we first came up. We went to the Instructional League. We were roommates. We were in the big leagues. We were roommates because we had roommates when we first came up. And that friendship has lasted a long time. And uh, I'd have to say, you know, you have a lot of friends in baseball, but uh, the ones you can count on one hand are the guys that you, you spend your whole career with. And they're still friends, even though you've taken the uniform off. Uh, so I figured you might appreciate this one. Who's the best trash talker, teammate or opponent? Uh, opponents, I would have to say, when he was on the other team, eventually he came to our team. When I played, it was Pete Rose. It was between Pete Rose and Dave Parker. They could both talk trash. and uh, But they backed it up, so. And having Pete on your side uh, towards the end of my career was, was a blessing in disguise because now when you look across the dugout, you, you really didn't like him. Of course, when he had the same uniform as you, you loved having him on your side. So I, I would say those two guys, not in any particular order, but when I played, they did a lot of trash talking. Of course, the most annoying trash talkers are the ones that can back it up because you can't really say a whole lot to them when they're exactly. when they're putting up the numbers behind it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, <laughs> those guys definitely put up the numbers, so you just let them keep trash talking. <laughs> um, so who is the toughest pitcher you face? Not necessarily the uh, best, but the toughest. Okay. The toughest. Uh, and the reason I say this, I mean, I faced a lot of tough pitchers. There's a lot of Hall of Fame f- pitchers that I faced, and it wasn't fun facing them. But I would have to say, even though he was towards the end of his career when I came up, Bob Gibson, just because of his mm-hmm. mentality, he, he was he wasn't a gentleman on the mound, him and Nolan Ryan, they had an edge about them and they would not be afraid to pitch inside. I, I would say it's those two because of their, not only because of their stuff, because they were considered like, they didn't like you if you had a different uniform on. And if you happen to get a couple of hits off, off of either one of them, they would let you know that they didn't like it. And, uh, you know, back then it, it was not a big deal for somebody to get knocked down. Now, you don't see that much of it happen very much. But during when I played, those two guys were 
then they not only were nasty with their stuff, but they were just, they were mean people on the mound. Obviously when they took the uniform off, they're nice guys, but when they got on the mound, they weren't really nice guys. Uh, what was your favorite ballpark to play in? I just love going on the West coast. You know, I, I'm originally from California. Uh, and I like going to, to, to uh, Dodger stadium. It's just the environment and uh, the energy. Um, obviously it's a great playing field. Uh, the weather's great out there, but I really love playing in Philly, but on the road, I, I like going to the West coast and playing in LA. You know, th- throughout your career, you were obviously known for your competitiveness and your fiery spirit. Uh, I guess, how would you describe where that has, where that came from? And I guess what, what fueled you through your career? I, I think I played like with a little chip on my shoulder, you know, not getting drafted, not playing high school baseball. Uh, basically when I signed, they, they wanted me to sign as an organizational type player. They said, well, you know, he might get to double A, maybe triple A. Then you can keep him in the organization as a coach or a minor league manager. And then you hear articles saying that this guy's never going to hit in the big leagues. So I just sort of fueled that a little bit and used that as am- ammunition. When things went bad, I'd look at these articles and people would say he'll never play in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, and, and so I, I guess the bottom line was I played with a little edge. I wasn't a real big guy. I was small. Uh, nothing basically was given to me. I had to earn everything. So I, I played with a little edge, and I'm glad that the fact that I played in Philadelphia even enhanced that a little bit more. I think if I'd have played in a low-key city, I might not have played in the big leagues very long. But Philadelphia, when you took the field there, the fans, they, they, they let you know when you're playing good. They also let you know when you're not doing good. They wanted effort every night, and you had to be ready to play, when you, especially when you were playing at home here in Philadelphia. You know, looking back on it, would you do anything differently in your career, playing or managing? Uh, playing, probably not. The only thing I'd like to do if I was a player, I'd like to hit a few more home runs. I was just a singles <laughs> and doubles hitter. But looking back on my career, I, I, I did what I wanted to do. I mean, I made all-star teams. I won a World Series. Uh, I won gold gloves. I, I hit 300 one year. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just felt like I got every ounce of energy out of my body for the 16 years that I played as a manager. I think if I had to do some things over starting out in San Diego, you know, I was always one of these guys that was a workaholic. I would take, instead of taking 30 ground balls before every game, I take 50 or 60. And I think the biggest uh, thing that I look back on, I expected everybody to have my work ethic. And you know what? They didn't need to have my work ethic. They were gifted athletes. Maybe they only needed 20 or 25 ground balls or maybe two rounds of batting practice. I needed everything, extra of everything. So if I had to do some things over managing, I would say, you know, each guy's different. Each guy prepares different. I mean, Philly Philly fans didn't get out of the gate real good with Mike Schmidt. They thought he was an aloof-type player. But if you got to know Schmidt, he was very intense. He just didn't show it. Uh, you know, he didn't wear his feelings on his sleeves. And, and you know, once I got to know Schmidt, he cared about winning just as much as I did, just as much as Pete Rose did. But I think the one thing that you learn as a manager is everybody's different. You can't treat everybody the same. Uh, everybody's work ethic's different than yours. And looking back, if I could redo that, I would have done that different. When you look back at your time managing the Phillies, what stands out to you or what comes to mind when you think back I, to that period? I think the biggest thing, Megan, is I had to change the whole culture of that clubhouse. It was a bad team. And nothing against Terry Francona because he's turned out to be a great manager. But he didn't have a lot to work with, and they were losing every year. 
So to come in and change the culture in that clubhouse, I think every year we, we played at least 500 ball. We were in a, in a, uh, we were in a wild card race one year and it really was a team that, uh, we didn't have what you call great players. We had guys that grinded it out and played hard. And I think that was, that was very satisfying to me to see us turn that, that attitude in the clubhouse and on the field around a little bit. And then the rest of this history, you know, Charlie came in and he got some players there and these guys started maturing a little bit and they won a world series in 2008. So I feel like part of that was changing the, the culture in the clubhouse during that 2001, two, three and four seasons. Did you ever have that itch to get back uh, you know, managing or, you know, did that, uh, did that time in, in Philly satisfy? No, I, I, when I first, uh, you know, left Philly, I had that itch, but uh, I don't know. I think the game's so much different now. I like coaching. I like being around young guys and in spring training, when I go down there, I like helping whoever the infield, like Juan Castro this year. I thought he did a great job with the infielders. I like doing that stuff. I like going down now and watching our minor league. Uh, players, whether it be A, double A, or triple A, that's a lot of fun to go down. I like watching uh, if we're in the draft uh, and we're looking at an infielder, you know, Matt might say, hey, I want you to go look at this guy like I went and looked at uh, at Alex Bohm. Uh, I like that part of it. it, it it's, it's a little bit different, but you're, you keep your finger in it and you still get to see the young guys. You get to see the big league team. I go to all the home games here in Philly. So it, it's it's a perfect situation for me. Did, did you think you were going to like that kind of role in terms of the hands-on, um, you know, checking checking on the younger guys? Like, did you think you would enjoy that, or were you surprised at all I, by how much I, you did? I was, I, I was sort of up in the air. I didn't know if I was going to like it. I think the more I started doing it, the more I liked it. And uh, that that was – and the more I did it, then, you know, I, I look forward to going to watch AAA and AA and A-ball. I look forward to uh, – in the minor leagues, uh, if the Phillies were on the road in a spring training down, going down and talking to a couple guys, we have some uh, some good young players down there, and it's fun because they're still like sponges, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and they they still they're still open for some of your suggestions. I'm not saying they listen to everything you say, but I do think that they uh, they're they're like I said, they they sort of grab onto some things and they say, hey, this guy played for a while. He might know what he's talking about, and uh, it's 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 a challenge, but it's good to watch these guys play. Uh, so to wrap things up, we've highlighted local businesses to support while everything is shut down. So are there any places that are your go-to when you're in Philly? As far as charities and that, or or just like restaurants, oh, uh, restaurants stores, uh, yeah, love, anything I like love, that. I, I love Capital Grill. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll go anywhere for a good steak. I, I love that, and uh, I like Ruth Chris. Uh, you know, I like steak places because I don't eat a lot of steak when I'm at home. I I eat fish and chicken, but every now and then I like steaks. I go to the King of Prussia Mall and do shopping. I, I just love the city of Philadelphia. I love the suburbs. Uh, you know, like I said, I was born in California, but ever since 1970, I've been here. This has been my home, and I feel like uh, this is basically what I call home now. And uh, I'm looking forward for us to get through this tough times right now and obviously put a shout out to all the nurses and the doctors and the people that are working through this. Uh, I take my hat off to them. Every day they're putting their lives on the line and uh, hopefully we can come up with a a solution here and and, and solving this thing because it's not real fun right now uh, in our country. Yeah, I think everybody's starting to hit that point of... uh... 
getting stir crazy. Um, but I really t- appreciate you, Boa, taking the time to chat today with us. Um, for Everybody Hits, this is Mega Mountain Miro. Thanks for listening. <laughs>